0: of a house group that we were doing, I was, do you know what really blessed me, was the amount of food that there was, um, because it was, do you know what, it's a symbol of generosity I think, and that's partly what we're trying to foster, is that heart of generosity, um, and it was just really lovely, and I think it was just a really lovely atmosphere, and I was just really blessed, and I thought it's great to be part of a church where people want to be generous, uh, and bring food, mm, Amen. Um, <laughs> I think those things are important but I just really wanted to encourage you really and just thank you and just you know and I'm excited to just be with everybody again this week and see what food Esther brings uh, and what cake Miriam brings and uh, you know those kind of things so it's all good. The plan for food is rice so rice is the staple this week so anything that builds around rice there we are okay um, that's what we're going to do right but let's uh, I, uh, I just wanted to say that before I open this morning's subject. This morning we're going to be looking, uh, if you've got your Bibles, in 1 Philippians. Um, and uh, I just felt led to this passage this week, and we are going to look at, you know, really just unpack a particular piece of scripture this morning uh, in 1 Corinthians from verse 12 um, through to about verse 24 or something. One, sorry, one, why did I say Philippians? Apologies. Philippians chapter 1. Uh, I don't know why I keep doing that. Uh, Philippians chapter 1 but before I do that I want to ask you the question this morning and I want to ask it in all seriousness right if if this morning the police were to walk in here or somebody were to walk in here and ask everyone who believed in Jesus to stand up so that they could arrest you and imprison you what would you do Oh, you hope so, don't you? Yeah. Now, if that meant, standing up meant torture, possibly separation from your family, imagine that if you've got kids being taken off and being separated from your children. Might even mean death. You know, would we even come to church if that's a possibility? And, you know, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about developing a hunger for God, We've been talking about wanting to be more full of God and more willing to do what he wants. And this morning I believe God wants to challenge us on our boldness for the gospel. Our boldness to set our hearts on God regardless of the cost. Now, we're fortunate in this country we haven't experienced real persecution for hundreds and hundreds of years. And maybe there's been a bit of resistance or... um, you know, but real persecution has not been something that we've experienced for hundreds of years in this country. But this morning there are people who are going to church and that's a very real possibility for them. That's a very real possibility. It's not just, you know, or oh, maybe somewhere, somewhere, that we know, I'm sure Peter and Ruth know people, that going to church for them is a decision that they have to make knowing that that Sunday may be the last Sunday that they get to ever go to church. And I... You know, we don't know in this country, do we, where things are heading? You know, we don't know whether or not um, actually maybe in, in our lifetime persecution might become something that as, a, as a, a community we have to face. I'm not saying it is, but I could see how it could happen for those that really believe in the gospel. And this morning uh, what we are going to look at is a passage of scripture where Paul is in prison for what he believes. He's in prison because of His commitment to the gospel, and I believe this morning the Lord wants to challenge us are we really committed to the gospel? If someone were to walk in here, are we so committed to the gospel that we are not afraid of what anybody would do to us, or could do us, or where God would send us anywhere in the world? because we're so committed to the advance of the gospel. So I want us to start by just reading, rather than waste time reading the whole passage in one go, we're going to read it section by section. Um, So I'd like us to start by turning to verse 12, Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. And Paul uh, is speaking to his Philippian friends, he's writing, as I'll explain in a moment, from Rome, and he says, verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having been confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So I want to just give you a little bit of context to this passage. Sometimes we can read these bits of scripture and not really understand uh, what they're really all about. And I think understanding who's writing them and why they're being written is important so Paul, the great Apostle Paul, who's been travelling the world, planting churches, preaching the Gospel everywhere he goes, has now been taken to Rome, right? The centre of, of the world at that time. He's now in Rome, and he's been arrested for being a Christian. He's not done anything else wrong other than for being a Christian, for preaching the Gospel. That's the only reason he's in prison. And what has, uh, has happened is, is that the church in Philippi, Um, have heard about Paul's imprisonment and they're, understandably, they're worried about him, right? they're worried about their, you know, they're they're almost their father in the faith, the guy that planted their church, the one that they love dearly, has now been put in prison, and I would imagine they're worried about, you know, they're worried he's going to die, because of course he's on trial, and the the sentence will be death, they're also probably worried about how he's mentally holding up, you know, is he cracking up under the pressure, you know, they're obviously also sad, this great apostle who's going around preaching the gospel has now been confined to one place, he can't plant any more churches, he can't go off preaching, and Paul's writing, and uh, I heard this described as it's like a prayer letter right if you're a missionary you send out prayer letters right Uh, and this is a bit like Paul's prayer letter to the Philippians and you know what? what I want you to imagine is how would we if we got together tomorrow night and we discovered that Pastor Paul Cross yeah the founder of this church had gone to Worthing had now been put in prison in Worthing all right how would what would we be praying for what would we be feeling we'd probably be praying oh lord would you help him get out of prison lord would you you know would you keep him encouraged and strong and all of these things and what this passage tells us is that Paul's primary interest is not himself actually what he's showing us is that even though he can't go about preaching anymore and he can't go about planting churches even though he's restricted to one place, even though he's facing death, even though he's suffering, he's actually rejoicing in his chains. He's actually happy that he's in prison. Who would be happy to be in prison? But Paul is saying here, I'm happy where I am. That doesn't mean that Paul says, I'm really loving it, right? I'm really enjoying being in chains. But what he's saying is, I'm happy in this place. Now, when we look at this passage, we can see why. Why is it any great Bible scholar that can read, why is it that Paul is happy about being in prison? And the answer we find in verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. You see, Paul is interested, his whole ambition, his whole aim, his whole life is directed towards this, I want the gospel to go forward, I want more people to hear about Jesus Christ, I want more people to experience his love and his freedom and I want that to be preached and so everything that's happening to him is measured against that criteria. His life is not like oh how you know you know I really I just I feel like I need to get fitter you know i need to get out on the bike and being stuck in 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 prison means that i can't be fit so i'm putting on weight and it's a real concern to me right that's not paul's criteria paul's criteria is what is important is not about me it's about the gospel and his whole drive and everything about him is focusing towards this i want to see the gospel go forward and you know i've been praying this week and i've been challenging myself as i've got before the lord is that my driving force Is that what motivates me? Is that the thing that's driving me? Is that the thing that I'm more concerned about than anything else? That Jesus Christ is preached and that people know more about him? Because when that becomes the motivation of your life, it totally changes the way that you view every circumstance and every situation. You're not worrying anymore about how difficult your circumstances are or how challenging you are. You're looking and saying, what's important to me is is the gospel going forward. Are people hearing About Jesus are people looking at my life and seeing Jesus and I believe that that's where the Lord wants to take us as a church that place where we are not concerned about what people think about us we're not concerned whether we're small we're not concerned whether people might ridicule us whether in 20 years time we might find ourselves being put under real pressure to to stand true to what we believe because we are saying what's important is the advance of the gospel. So why was Paul rejoicing that this, um, that, that through him, that the, the or through his imprisonment, that uh, the, the gospel was going forward? Well, we look in verse 13, and it says that the gospel has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest. Right. Paul wanted to what was we said Paul's aim is to preach the gospel and he traveled all around the known world basically planting churches and Paul had figured out that basically if you really want to get the gospel going somewhere right where you need to get it to is the center if you get it to the center everything flows out from the center Rome was the center of that world so everything all the all the rules all the laws all the culture everything was flowing out from Rome so if you want to get Christianity going out across the known world where's the best place to do that Rome. So that's where he takes himself. He's been heading in that direction. But not only that, he finds himself now, right, being taken. It wasn't just in any old jail. It wasn't being like taken down to the jail. wing. I don't know. Isn't there a jail on the Isle of Sheppey or something? Yeah, is that? that, Yeah, right. It's not like going to the jail in the Isle of Sheppey, right. This is like being taken, right, to the Queen. You know, yesterday was the Trooping of the Colour, wasn't it? Right. And there was the, the, the Queen's guard. He was under the guard of the Imperial Guard, but this was the, the uh, they were called the Praetorian Guards. I'm digging out my A-Level Classics degree now, right? Okay, they were the Praetorian Guard. There were 9,000 of them and they were like the, you know, the, the ones with the hats, what are they called? What are they called? Someone's, uh, the beef eaters, I don't know what they're called, but you know the ones that stand outside the Queen's, the Queen's, you know? They were the personal bodyguards to the Emperor. Now these guys were really the best of the best. They were like the SAS type troops. They were the most elite troops. Right, and they were the only Roman soldiers that got a pension. Right, so they were really, and they were paid double what everybody else was paid. And they became incredibly. That was. A, they were a really influential group of people. And often, it was uh, Roman history shows that it was often that group. Uh, of soldiers that had the power to basically kind of remove emperors and put new ones in place, right? Uh, It's a bit like in Thailand these days. The army has great power, doesn't it? It's often the army that that decides who's in power and who's not, right? And so Paul has found himself, right, under the guard of the most important soldiers in the kingdom who have a huge amount of influence and every day these soldiers are having to sit next to Paul every day you imagine being chained to Paul every day right and there he is he's sat and you're sat in the room and he's and you've got to stand guard and you watch him and he's praying away and he's praying and he's praying and then he starts to preach to you and you've got nowhere to go because you've just got to listen right and then he speaks in tongues and you're thinking and he's preaching the gospel and you say Paul why are you here and have you done anything wrong no I'm just here because basically I love Jesus and I want to see the gospel go forward right he has found himself in the position of the greatest influence for the gospel and it says doesn't it it says all the imperial guard and it says and to all the rest well who were the rest well paul's going to be meeting magistrates lawyers important officials that are coming to see him people that are hearing his case and he's finding himself in the center position of influence to share the gospel And so he's saying, don't worry about me. Don't be praying that I get out of here. I want to stay here because this is the position that God has put me in. And this morning, God may have put you in a position of suffering and a position of difficulty, or God may take you into a position of difficulty, but God has put you there for the advance of the gospel. You see, when the advance of the gospel is your primary aim and your primary focus in your life, it changes everything you think about yourself. You know, I read a a story uh, of, um, I'm going to try and say this right, is it uh, Richard Wormbrand? I'm looking at uh, uh, um, Miriam because he was a Romanian pastor um, who was uh, imprisoned and tortured for 14 years and when he was released he set up a charity which has now become, I believe, is that Release, is that right? Um, Which you used to work for if I'm correct, yes, see I'm I'm plugging my, my, my facts together correctly. Yeah, and so this Romanian pastor was imprisoned for being a Christian for fourteen years. He was actually kept in solitary confinement for three years. When you've got three kids, that sounds like a you know maybe not that bad. Yeah, but no, no But three three years, and, so, and he was beaten and he was tortured, and uh, you know God actually used him to to really kind of uh, I suppose. Uh, it says he was used to kind of really undermine communism because once he got out he basically went around sort of demonstrating that basically communists were still persecuting Christians Uh, and he I read this quote and he said it was uh, from his desire to preach the gospel and he says it was strictly forbidden to preach to other prisoners it was understood that whoever was caught doing this received a severe beating a number of us decided to pay the price for the privilege of preaching. So he accepted there the communist terms. It was a deal. We preached and they beat us. We were happy preaching, they were happy beating us. So everyone was happy. Rather than being depressed about his treatment, Richard Wurmbrand was basically committed like the apostle Paul to advance the gospel. He wasn't concerned about whether things were physically difficult. What he was interested in was is the gospel going forward? And when we look at our lives, is that the motivating factor of our lives? Oh, I'm tired. Mm, I'm so tired. Oh, these things are tough. Is the gospel going forward? Is the Lord using you to push the gospel forward? That should be the driving force of our life but what else why else is Paul so excited and confident about being in prison right it says in verse 14 let's look at verse 14 and he says and most of the brothers and I'm sure it's sisters too having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear Paul was pleased about his imprisonment because his courage in the face of death, in the face of suffering and the face of imprisonment was actually having an impact on the local church. Now you would think, wouldn't you, that if you've got your friend, right, our friend Mark gets dragged off to prison, right, for believing in Jesus, there would be many of us that would think, well, I'm going to stop believing in Jesus because I don't want to go to prison and I don't want to be beaten for believing in Jesus. But instead, it has the opposite effect. Paul says his imprisonment, right, his facing death is actually encouraging people to be more bold, to be more willing to be put in prison like Paul. How is that the case? Well, the truth is, is that boldness is like fear. It's contagious. Boldness is like fear. It's contagious. The World Cup starts in a couple of weeks' time. Now, any of us that follow football, is it less than a week? Go on, Geoff. <laughs> All round to Jeffs to watch the football then, right? Um, the foot, anyone that, that follows in England in any sense, and I've virtually given up following England football because it depresses me so much, right? But those of us that stomach them to watch at least once every two years will remember the debacle of Euro 2016, Right? <laughs> Right? It was a debacle. It was absolute it was a farce, wasn't it? Right? Because what happened is that fear was contagious. And they were a team that was gripped with a lack of confidence and fear, and they ended up being dumped out of the World Cup by who? Iceland. Iceland, please, we love Iceland, but as a footballing nation. Really? Right? Okay, we have the best league, the most competitive league in the world, right? And we have 65 million people in the UK. Iceland, bonus points for knowing the, the population of Iceland? No, 330,000. All right? The population of Iceland is 330,000 people. And basically, we got scared by their, their Icelandic hand, hand clap, didn't we? Yeah? All right? Fear set in. Fear-setting, didn't it? And so rather than playing with confidence as a team that believed that they had the skill and the talent, they were afraid and it just spread through the whole team and they got beaten by, I mean, come on, got beaten by Aston. I want to compare that, right, to our neighbours uh, over the border, right, Wales. Right? Wales are a team population of about 3 million. Most of the players in the Welsh team don't even play in the Premiership. They play in sort of lower league divisions. But they did have one star, right, Gareth Bale. Now, Gareth Bale was confident and he was bold and he believed that they could do something amazing. And so you had these players that basically week in, week out wouldn't get into a premiership team competing with the best players in the world and beating them. Boldness is contagious. You see, when you see, I don't know, I, I haven't yet been on Healing on the Streets, it's something that I do, but I would imagine that the first time that you did Healing on the Streets, right, you went out and you were probably quite afraid, right, quite nervous, right, you put this big banner up that says Healing, right, and then you've got to actually start doing it. But from what Simon tells me, there's a couple of ladies on the Healing for, streets, on the, healing for the Streets team, Jen Coleman and Jane Swetman, who will basically are unbelievably bold. They will talk to anybody, and so probably within 10 seconds of starting, they were off. Now, what does, that, what does that do if you're standing watching those people? It makes you start to believe, well, hang on a second, if they can do it, then so can I. If they're having success, then so can I. See, boldness is contagious. When we see someone else being bold, what it does, it doesn't make us fearful, it makes us more courageous. And I want to say to us, when we look at our lives, are our lives an inspiration to other people? Is your life an inspiration to other people? Is it creating uh, a sense of, uh, courage in other people to go and do things, or are we so afraid of failing, so afraid of making mistakes, so afraid of messing it up, that we cower? That we you know, I just want to share a couple of silly, ex- well, not silly examples, but smaller examples that I think are really significant. I've got some friends of ours that we've, we've met and we've got to know, um, and they have started to kind of, they live in a village in the middle of nowhere, and they could go to another big church somewhere else, they're decided that they are going to try and you know just start a a kind of I mean it's probably too too much to call it a church at this point but they're just starting to meet in their home and trying to reach the gospel share the gospel advance the gospel in their village just one family now you may think that's stupid they may fail it may be it may all just come to nothing but you know what that boldness has had an impact on me because I look at them and I think do you know what? they're stepping out and they're doing it they're not being afraid of failing they're not worrying about whether the odds are for them or against them they're trusting God and going for it and their boldness is inspiring me you know I'm going to embarrass my mother-in-law now right okay my mother-in-law recently started a uh, was involved with toddler's club uh, and started a I want to say is it fours to sevens right, a fours to sevens group, right, on a Friday night, okay, to basically reach out to the non-Christian mums that came to Toddler's Club, right, and that obviously have moved on, and so she started this little group, fours to sevens, it's like an hour long on a Friday night, right, and when she started it, she thought, well, she said, I remember her saying, well, it could all be a total disaster, no one could come, right, but I'm just going to do it anyway and trust that God's in it, right, and God's blessed it, hasn't he and these mums are coming and some of the mums from the church are coming and God is blessing it and you see when your life is defined what, what Ruth was more interested in just like my friends who are out there trying to kind of start this little church they're more interested in the advance of the gospel than they are in whether or not they will be a failure or whether or not they'll be successful or whether or not someone might think they're silly or whether or not yeah, they want their life and boldness is contagious and when you Peter was talking about this event on the Wirral right this lady it was one lady wasn't it who basically said I want to do a massive event right that gets every church on the Wirral involved right and we're going to get hundreds and hundreds of people to watch the, the you know watch this this event over four days was it four days what a crazy idea one woman she had no funding when she started, did she? She had no funding and she just had a vision and a dream. right? And that's the thing, is that when we have a heart to advance the gospel, all kinds of things are possible. Does your life inspire other people? With boldness. Because Paul was inspiring other people. He said, don't, don't worry about me, I'm inspiring others. Paul was so committed to the gospel. Let's look then at... Um, Uh, Verse 15, let's move through this passage. And then he says, well, some preach Christ from envy and rivalry. Some are preaching Christ because they're envious of me and they're trying to be my rivals, yeah? Others do it for goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice I, I find this a really interesting description of scripture so Paul's in prison he's waiting possi- he's facing possible death right and there are those out there in the church that are obviously a bit jealous of Paul Paul's got this amazing ministry when Paul's around you know kind of stuff amazing stuff happens church gets planted i want to prove that i'm as good as paul at preaching and so they're out there and they're preaching the gospel and they're trying to make a name maybe they're trying to make a name for themselves as preaching the gospel maybe they're trying to undermine paul by saying you know this is you know but they're preaching the real gospel because it says that otherwise paul would have objected to them preaching a false gospel they're preaching but this is the thing paul's so committed to the advance of the gospel he doesn't care yeah, he doesn't mind if people make him look bad or if people are better than him or if someone's doing it in a different way to so he would do it and it's working. He's interested in the advance of the gospel. I want to be, I'm going to put myself out there. There have been many times in my life where, you know, I've tried to do something and someone else has gone along and done something similar and I've got really jealous. right, and maybe I look at them and think, oh, they preach better than I do, right, or they're running that event and, you know, that more people are going to like that event than my event, more people are going to like that thing than my thing, what if they want to come to my group rather than that, uh, his group rather than my group? Paul says, if you're set on the advance of the gospel, then it doesn't matter. If Jesus is being preached, if the gospel's going forward, then if no one knows who you are, it doesn't matter. Because if you're focused on Jesus Christ and on preaching him and seeing him go forward, you just think, well, whoever's doing it, great. I wish I was more like that. I'm still learning that, right? But I'm learning that, and God has been teaching me that. At the end of the day, we want day, we should be getting behind each one of us. If someone in the church starts something and they're preaching the gospel, we should be getting behind that, even if they're doing it for all the wrong reasons. I think it's hilarious that Paul, you know, there's these motivations that are all kinds of all over the place and rather than sitting there going, well, their motivations are all wrong. How can the Lord bless it? He's like, well, the gospel's being preached. People are hearing about Jesus. That's the main thing. That's what I'm all about. And the irony is, is, is people that wanted to make it more difficult for Paul, they wanted to make it more difficult. They were actually achieving the very thing that he was trying to do. They were actually making it better for him. You see, when our hearts are set on the advance of the gospel, We'd stop becoming precious about our thing, don't we? And so I want to finish this morning by looking at this last section of the scripture here. It says in verse 18, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and I and I hope and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. But that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honoured. See, he wants to honour Christ, see the gospel go forward. In my body, whether by death, sorry, by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labour for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell, I don't know. Would I rather die or would I rather live? But I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. You see, Paul's not concerned about the past. He's not feeling down about having wasted several years in prison. He's also not discouraged about his present sufferings. But what's remarkable is he's also absolutely in no way concerned about the future, he's no way concerned about death. We need to get our heads around this. Paul was in no way fearful or worried about death. In fact, actually, he was looking forward to dying. How many of us this morning have really faced up to death? You see, our whole, the world, every culture runs away from the subject of death. They all do it. Everybody does. And why is, that, why is it that people run away from the subject of death? No one really wants to talk about death. It's not a subject that people really want to celebrate or talk about. Because this is why. Because death asks a deeper question. What's life all about? What's life really about? What are you living for? You see, if you're living for money, death is a great fear to you. Because if what you're trying to do is acquire money... Then death separates you from your money. You haven't got any money anymore. If you're living for family, then you fear death because it separates you from your family. If you're living for success and recognition, then you fear death because death comes to everybody, not just the successful ones. You see, Paul wasn't forcing himself to rejoice through fear, he wasn't trying to praise his way through worry. He says, "I'm hard, verse 23 says, I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart. I'd rather die and be with Christ, for that is far better. He was looking forward to death. Death held no threat for Paul. And I want to challenge you this morning. If, you're, if I were to say to you, today is your last Sunday. It's been nice to know you, but next Sunday you will no longer be with us on this earth. How would you feel about that? it interesting because God wants to bring you to a place Paul was saying I'm looking forward to going I want to go you see the thing is is that we talk in the church all the time about having no fear don't we the Lord wants to set you free from fear if you are afraid of death then there are still areas in your life where you are not free There are still areas in your life where you are not free. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, that means that we're all just kind of bouncing around kind of, you know, like lemmings, looking for, you know, ways to go, right? But if in our hearts we've really tackled that question of whether or not we are afraid to die, it totally releases you in life because you think, well, it doesn't matter. Now, how can Paul say that? How can Paul get to a point where he's basically saying, well, if I go, fantastic. If I don't, well, I'm here for the Lord, how can he get to this point? And this is why. Because you when a Christian dies, he doesn't lose things, he gains things. You see, if your desire is for Jesus Christ, if that's your purpose, if that's your aim, if that's your desire to get more and more of Jesus, if we're talking over we the last few months about getting hungry for God, if you're really hungry for God, then when you come to die, you're not worried about it, you're thinking this is going to get me more of what I've been seeking. You see, when a Christian dies, he doesn't lose things, he gains things. That's the difference, you know, between, you know, a, a Christian, an Ethiopian Christian that's, that's willing to sacrifice his life for, um, for, uh, for the gospel, who's being persecuted, and the difference between a Christian and a, and a Muslim jihadist. A Muslim jihadist is seeking to die because he's hoping that he's going to get something. As a Christian, you realise I already own Jesus. I already got it, so I'm not afraid anymore. I'm not afraid of anything. I can give my life for the gospel because I know that I already have Jesus and all that death does is give me more of him. I want to challenge you this week, if you're really committed to going on with God, if you're really committed to experiencing more of his power in your life, I want to challenge you, take a few minutes to sit alone and ask yourself the question, am I afraid of dying? And do you know what, it's okay if you sit there and you think, I am, right? That's okay because God wants to bring you and lead you on a journey where you realise that you are no longer afraid of what happens next. Well, you realise that you are just so committed to the advance of the gospel and to the experience of his presence that really the truth is whether you live or you die, it doesn't matter. Paul was saying, I don't mind if I live or I die. If I live, I live to serve the gospel. If I die, I go to be with Jesus. Either way, it's not about me. It's not about my family. It's not about whether I'm happy or whether I'm suffering or whether I'm easy. I'm free. I'm truly free. There's nothing that can stop me. I am completely at liberty to do whatever God wants me to do. Is that the position you want to come to? Complete liberty? We do that by coming to the conclusion that God is for us and that if we're willing to let our lives be for the advance of the gospel, nothing else matters. I, just, I, I want to finish by giving you this thought. I love, I love this idea that this prayer letter, I read this somewhere, I didn't make this up, but I love this idea that this prayer letter gets back to the Philippian church, Right? And, you know, if you know the story of the Acts, the Philippian, one of the first converts was a Philippian jailer, right? Okay, and I can imagine this Philippian jailer opening up this prayer letter and having read it, and he starts to pray, Oh Lord, Paul's at it again, like he was when he was in my prison. He loves being in prison, that Paul, because, and I thank you this morning, Lord, that I'm here because of what Paul did in that prison, because he didn't see being in prison, he didn't see suffering as a bad thing, he saw it as an opportunity for the gospel. And you know, that prayer meeting would have completely changed, wouldn't it? It would no longer be, oh Lord, pray that you keep him going. Lord, would you really help him to preach the gospel well? Would Would you give him the encouragement to just have influence and speak and speak and speak? And Lord, if he stays, Lord, we pray that he would stay so that he can be a blessing to more people. But if you want to take him, take him. You see that everything changes when your view becomes when you you start living for the advancement of the gospel and this morning the lord wants to bring us to the position as a church where our whole lives are focused on this i want to please god i want to live for the advancement of the gospel you know i was reading with hebrews chapter 11 this 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 scripture and i this is such a i find this every time i read this scripture in my quiet time it moves me to tears right it says, Hebrews eleven thirty-five, thirty-eight, 38, and he's been talking about the great heroes of the faith. And he said, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. And this is the bit I love. Verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves. I want my life to be so dedicated to the advance of the gospel that I'm not worried about what happens to me. I'm not worried about my present sufferings. What I'm committed to is the advance of the gospel. You know we have this lovely view and I think it's crept into the church that if you're a Christian that really God's ambition for you is that we're going to roll into heaven you know in our kind of with maybe our gray hair kind of sort of just sauntering in you know just oh, loving the Lord just worshiping as we go in when I look through the gospel and I read the stories of those that have really lived their life for Jesus I reckon they limp in you know Richard Wummerbrand when he lifts up his top it's covered it was covered in scars do you really think that Paul having had all those beatings he wasn't he, he didn't have a bad leg or a few ribs that had not quite healed properly See, there are things that just, you know, his, his body was imperfect, it wasn't. You know, many Christian saints who lay their lives down, they're tired, they're emotionally exhausted, they're weary because they're not concerned about themselves. Richard, Richard Wimmerbrand said this, he said, not all of us are called to die a martyr's death, but all of us are called to have the same spirit of self-sacrifice and love to the to the very end, as these martyrs had. Is that in you? Is that in me? Or are we still letting fear, rather than boldness, guide our lives? Let's pray, shall we? Lord, I want to pray this morning that you would come and you would release this spirit of boldness into our church. You would release that spirit of boldness into me, Lord. You know there are areas in my life where I just am afraid. Lord, I'm a, to be honest, I'm a wimp, really. I hate physical pain, Lord. And, Lord, I love to be comfortable and I get tired so easily, Lord. I really do. But Lord, I pray that Lord, my life would become focused on this aim, Lord, that we would see the gospel go forward. Lord, that that would become my driving force, that Jesus Christ would be glorified, that He would be preached, that people in this community would know it, that people around the world would know it, Lord, that you would stir up your church here this morning and across Lord the United Kingdom and all around the world, Lord, to stir up this heart that says, "I want to live for Jesus. I want to live for the advance of the gospel, and I'm not concerned whether that brings me into a position of chains or whether it brings me into a position of suffering or difficulty because if I'm doing it for you then it doesn't matter Lord this is why this is real Christianity this is the real deal Lord we all want the nice Christianity Lord where we you know we're all happy and easy Lord and that's true Lord you do bring us peace and joy and goodness Lord but the truth is Lord you you really lead us when we're really going on for you you lead us into positions of difficulty and suffering for your name and we want to say yes Lord that's my heart, that we would say yes. Lord, whatever the cost, Lord, we would have this attitude. We may not be called to die a martyr's death this morning. Very unlikely, in fact. Lord, we may not be called to be beaten, but we might find that maybe our family don't agree with us. Lord, or people think we're a bit weird. Or people disagree with us, and we stand up for what we believe in, and people tell us that we are foolish for believing that, or we're bigoted, or we are narrow-minded. Would you give us the courage this morning, the boldness that we would be an inspiration to one another. Lord, we pray for the healing on the streets team. Lord, as they go out, Lord, that they would have the boldness to speak the gospel with confidence. Lord, to speak with confidence, healing over people's lives. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would move in this community. But start with us. Start with me this morning. Deal with those areas in my life, Lord. We love you so much, Lord. The reason we're like this is because you've done so much for us, Lord. Lord, we're not doing this for some great, clever cause. We're doing it because you love us. And because your love has changed us. And because we want to please you. And we want to honor you.